All right, get your Bibles out. Going to do a little Bible study. And let me also mention, while it just leapt into my mind, next week, it's not Wednesday night, it's what night? Tuesday night. And what time? Yeah, well, 6.30. All right, three of, you, three of you would have been here on Tuesday night. Tuesday night at 6.30. All right, we'll get started. And we'll have the Lord's Supper. So we will be serving communion that night. It's a great table to gather around to give thanks. So we will be doing that. Just to let you know, we'll remind you all of that this coming Sunday as well. But thought we'd put that bug in your ear. I'm going to do something for the next uh, few Wednesday nights. Now, we may take a, a, a different tack next week being Thanksgiving week. But I have been remarking with you on Sundays how the media has picked up on the word, you know, new apostolic reformation, and it's picked up on another word, dominion. And it's almost become one of those words. It's like it's, like it's the D word, only, you know, it's not the D word you think. Um, it's, it's dominion. And it's almost like you hear this word and they'll put it in print and, and there's this new kind of Christian that believes in dominion. And it's almost like we're, you know, like we're these crazed people that are looking for this hostile takeover. And I don't know what all they think it means, but it's coming up enough that I just thought it would be in order for us to just untangle any misunderstanding that's coming along with the word because it is a word that you will find in your Bible. And if it's in the Bible, how many of you know I want it? Do you want it? I mean, I want everything God's got. And if he says that there's a dominion that that is to be exercised and received and participated in, then sign me up. I want to be a part of God's plan. And so, so we want to talk about that. Uh, this Wednesday night, we're going to get started. And then after next week, we'll pick it up again uh, as well. But I believe the Bible. Let me tell you a couple things here. And, and hopefully, if it's something you've heard before, it'll just reaffirm it. If not, it'll help you. I believe the Bible is more than a book about going to heaven. It certainly is that. If you want to know how to get to heaven, this is the book you need to know about. But this is what I believe about this book. Just like we were talking, Scott, about buying a car or getting a new automobile. How many of you know that you'll open up the glove box? And what will you find in your glove box in that? An owner's manual. Yeah, Jim knew right where I was going with that. We had to change a tire the other night on um, Tyler's uh, 4Runner. And uh, we had bought the truck used a few years back. And really had no need in order to get into the glove box or to get the owner's manual. But we were trying to figure out how you lower the tire. You should have seen two grown men trying to figure out how to lower the spare tire from the bottom of his pickup. We, were, we knew it had to crank down on this cable, but we couldn't find where that happened at. And so, so I said, get the owner's manual, Tyler. So he went in and looked in the glove box. And I don't know, he had some tire warranty in there or something. But, but it had no owner's manual. And I said, well, I said, well go on the internet and, and just Google forerunner Tacoma how to get the tire out of the back of the thing uh, you know and so anyway he he got the information we got the tire down but I'm telling you it took probably three or four times longer than it should have taken because we didn't have an owner's manual do, do I have to make application here folks there are things in your life that are taking three to four to ten times longer than it should be taking. Why? Because you don't know your owner's manual. I believe this is an owner's manual. This is, this is how life is to be done, Scripture says, abundantly. 
successfully. It's the blueprint. And as a blueprint, God tells us that we are not just these sort of, uh, you know, milk toast doormats that get walked on. You know, you know, people think, well, you're a Christian. <laughs> you know, if, if you're in a if you're in a scuffle or you're in an argument, someone will say, well, you're a Christian, which usually means you le- you yield or you give up. And, and the Bible doesn't teach doormat existence. Now, I understand we're, we're to turn the other cheek. We're to go the extra mile. We're to give the cloak also. I get it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not teaching on those moments. I, I first want to sow into you that God has called you, me, he's called his church to be people of dominion. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I could just take you to one chapter in the book called Deuteronomy 28. And it says in Deuteronomy 28 that it is the heart of God that you be exalted above all the peoples of the earth. That's what God says. He says, I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be above and not below. I want you to lend and not borrow. He said, if the enemy comes against you one way, he'll flee in seven ways. So he he begins to lay out a premise that, that his people have a powerful position in him and and sometimes i think we've lost that concept and and that concept is known as dominion in fact all through the bible we find god's people being promoted into positions of influence not just for their own bank accounts not just for their own egos not just for their own need to aspire to some position, but God promotes his people in order that his kingdom agenda and his ways might have a conduit through which they might be implemented in the earth. Because the earth works right when he is in the center of it and it's moving according to his will and his plan. Amen. That's why this world isn't working right currently. It's, Christ, it's coming up on the Christmas season, right? And you remember in Isaiah, the, the, the Isaiah 9, I believe it's about verse 6, where it talks about Jesus, the wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, wonderful God, mighty God, uh, and all of those adjectives. It, the whole thing starts with this phrase. It says, and the government will be upon his what? See, government is upheld by Jesus. If, if Jesus isn't upholding it, it's going to crash. So... So these are concepts in the scripture that we want to embrace and understand righteously in order that we can uh, hopefully be a blessing. That's what we were meant to be. We were to be a blessing in the earth. Now, I've called this lesson tonight, God's original plan for man. It's not a fancy title, but uh, it's going to help you in immense ways. The book of Psalms, if you can turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I want to read to you just this really incredible passage here. Psalm 8. I'm going to begin with verse 3. Listen to this carefully. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him, now who's him? Us, man, right? I'll make sure. For you have made him, meaning man, a little lower than what? It says, the angels. In this version, of course, 
It actually says in the original version, you made him a little lower than Elohim is actually the Hebrew word. And that's one of the words for God. So there's a translation interesting issue here. So whether you choose angels or even Elohim, the the part is, is that you and I have been created in an amazing position, a little, just a little lower than even God himself. Says that you've crowned him with glory and honor. Now listen to verse 6. Now this is when you ought to go tilt. You have made him to have what? Come on, say it. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put things under his feet. All things. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. And I'm just going to stop there. Now, years ago, I taught a Bible college class just on this very subject of dominion. It actually involved the kingdom as well. We were talking about the kingdom of God and dominion. And, and many people think that whenever you use the term dominion, that you're talking about like some hostile takeover. Some Christian jihad. You know, whenever they start talking in the media about these Christians that believe in dominion, we're associated with these tyrannical regimes like in Iran who run these crazed... And again, they're not theocracies because because God's not ruling. It would be an ecclesiocracy or an oligarchy or it would be something that was in the hands of man. But they want to associate our concepts of dominion with these warped and counterfeit concepts that we see in these dictatorial regimes. How many of you understand Jesus didn't come to set up a dictatorship? He came to set people free. He didn't come to set up just these earthly puppet rulers. He came in order that he might be king of kings and lord of lords. See? So so there's this misunderstanding about dominion. Now, there are aberrations of dominion. People think that somehow, you know, Christians need to set their religion or their views off to the side because you can't bring them into a public arena because they're fearful that we're going to ram something down everybody's throat. And and maybe some people have that viewpoint. I'll just share this with you. Does God ram things down your throat? See, God doesn't ram, he doesn't ram anything down my throat. In fact, he lets me learn things oftentimes the hard way. There are times I wish he'd ram some things down my throat. Because it'd be a whole lot easier in life if he just, just forced it in me. But he doesn't, does he? Because he respects, he respects the will. And he respects the will because he, he desires you to want him. Not because you have to, but because you, you want to. That's, that's the nature of love. And so for us to function in God's love, just get it out of your mind right now. There's nobody more politically... Uh, engaged and culturally engaged, I think that I am. And I'm here to tell you that just because you're culturally engaged doesn't mean we're going to ram stuff down people's throats. It didn't work. It didn't work in the old covenant, did it? I mean, God, God tried legislating everything. God himself did. He codified everything, trying to get them to live right. And even God codifying everything couldn't get people to live right. I'll just give this suggestion to you. We can pass a thousand more laws out of Washington, D.C., and we won't get people to live right. 
Okay? So I'm helping you understand true dominion and why we're in the hunt. It's not like we're leveraging everybody in the earth to just see it our way. You can't convert someone like that. They just won't be. And so you've got you've to begin to piece these things together. Having said that, though, the Bible does declare that you and I are salt and light. That we were created in order to preserve the decaying culture as salt. We were created as light in order to bring illumination to those things that people are blind to. And, and dominion, to really understand dominion and how it works. It's like walking into a room, like when you go home tonight and you're going to walk into your house and probably you're going to go into some room and you're going to flip a switch and the light's going to come on to that dark room and, of course, you can find your way around then. That is a great illustration of dominion. Dominion isn't leveraging somehow or another or or running the darkness off or demanding that the darkness stop being dark. Dominion is when the light is turned on the darkness has nowhere to go but disappear. That's, that's a good picture of biblical dominion. That's why you and I are the light of the world. We enter into a situation and darkness flees. It can no longer exist. Okay? Dominion. You know, darkness is doing what darkness is designed to do. Light is doing what light is designed to do. If we are carriers of light, we exercise dominion. Now, the word dominion, go ahead on the screen, means literally... To rule or govern, it means to prevail against or to exercise power. It's interesting that the end of the word kingdom, everybody say kingdom. The kingdom is the shortened uh, word for the king's dominion. The king's dominion, kingdom. Kingdom. Now, this is the part that you and I have to hear. This is kind of the tough part. We will never exercise greater dominion in the earth until we first learn how to exercise dominion over ourselves. That's where dominion starts. You don't, don't, don't think God's going to give you great influence until, until you understand that rulership, the rulership of God must start first in your own life. If you can't rule, for instance, your passions, if you can't rule your desires, why would God throw us the keys to the culture? See, that's, that's been the problem of the church. We have, we, and you've heard me say this, we want to be relevant to the culture, but our problem has been we have so relevantized ourselves to the culture that, that we look at them and say, well, I'm just like you. I was born in sin just like you. I have the same faults, same frailties same discouragements and depressions and we think by relating to them that somehow or another they will they will connect with us and therefore we can somehow help them get to the cross but but in some ways that's backfired because truth of the matter is is that is that no i'm not exactly like you nor do i want to be like you i'm sorry andrea i think you're a wonderful person but let's just be honest i I don't want another person's hang-ups i Hey, I may have my own. And the truth of the matter is, I want to prevail over everything in my life, in your life, that would seek to keep us from God's highest will happening in our circumstances. All right? So we've got to learn how to rule. We tell this to the guys 
at the men's conferences. Sometimes the women want to know, what do you guys talk about? This is what we talk about with them. We talk about that you will never rule in the culture until you can rule your eyeballs. If you can't rule your eyeballs and get them to turn from where they ought not be looking, then don't expect God to raise you up into some prominent place because you haven't ruled the simple things of your passions yet. Don't think you've got a future until we get, until we get this house. That's why judgment starts at the house of God. You're following me. Now, it's interesting that God is though so committed to this concept of dominion that the final, some of the final pictures in the Bible, in the book of the Revelation, show us that the saints are what? They are ruling and reigning with Him. That's how committed God is to the concepts of dominion. Now, here's the key. What does dominion look like? Because this is the part that gets Newsweek and, and Time Magazine and it gets the Huffington Post and it gets MSNBC and all the cable news networks, CNN. They get all uptight because they hear the word dominion. What does that, what, what does that mean? Is there going to be a, take, a Christian takeover? Oh, well, God forbid. That's why we say, God forbid. Something like that would happen. Like, like you want an atheist takeover? I mean, uh, it's just, anyway. What, what did, if we understand God's original plan, we can understand where he's going. What did dominion look like? Let's go to the book of Genesis for just a moment. Genesis chapter 1. And I want to show you God's original intent and design. And again, if we can understand how he originally put it in place, we can begin to understand what it means to implement it in our current uh, situations and culture. All right? What did dominion look like? Chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. We read, Then God said, Let us, because they're talking within the Godhead, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And he says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I always like that because God even wants you to rule over the creepy. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now listen, here's the answer. Verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 26 is the verse that God begins to speak and declare what his heart is for his creation. Verse 28, we begin to see how God begins to define what that dominion looks like. I'll get there in just a second. Now think about this. Adam. Adam has no, you know what I like about Adam? Adam, Adam really is this blank slate. None of us come really as a blank slate. Uh, who was that guy? Dewey. Wasn't he the educational guy? Dewey. And he believed in, uh, I'm pulling this out, tabula rasa, you know, blank slate. And he believed that every kid was a blank slate and everybody you know, environment would write on that blank slate. And so environment was the determining factor as to whether this kid would succeed or fail. And I, I agree, environment has some uh, uh, leverage 
and influence how we grow up, the house we grow up. Can I, can I tell you something bigger than that? The carnal heart has an incredible effect on us all. So, so I don't believe in, in that fatalism because, of course, we believe in a God that redeems and can intervene. But Adam, Adam, Adam was different than you and I. See, Adam, there, Adam was a human being, but there were some things that were still different in Adam. You see, Adam, Adam had no way of knowing his purpose. Think about this. There were, no, there were no books or Bibles. There were no parents affecting him, telling him this is what you ought to do with your life. You know, there, there wasn't any teachers. There weren't any influencers. I mean, he was just the first one. I mean, here's Adam. He, so he has no way of knowing anything except that God would tell him, right? That's, he, all of his input is coming straight hot off the press. I mean, it didn't get any better than that. Adam, think about this. Adam had no past, so there's no generational curse coming to get him. There was no baggage to carry. He couldn't say, you know, well, you know, I grew up on the wrong side of the track, wrong side of the garden, excuse me. I grew up on the wrong side of the garden. You know, uh, I didn't, you know, I, I was on, you know, God, God put me over on the sparse side of Eden. Didn't have much growing up. No, he didn't give me a jet ski. He didn't give me, you know, all of these things that affected me. Think about it. There were no presuppositions. I mean, there was nothing. There were no assumptions. He had no worldview. No theology. No doctrine. Imagine. No website that he could go to and Google. What should I do with my life? I mean, there was nothing. He was just this, he was just this empty vessel waiting to hear from God. I share this all with you is because this, this is a picture of, of what God could do with someone if he just had the opportunity to input him at that level. And he said, I want you to exercise dominion. And these are the four ways. Now, listen, we all here are affected by our environment and circumstances and our training and our education and our parents and our grandparents and the generational issues. And we've got tons of baggage that we bring to the equation that we have to break through. That's why we have this book. We break through it in order to hear what God would want us to do or want us to be. Adam didn't have all those problems. And so we get to see something really, really clear. And God says that there are four things related to dominion. Let me give you those four things related to dominion. Number one, he says, be fruitful. Now, I'm just laying some concepts out here that we're going to come back to. But if you want to exercise dominion, dominion is birthed off of fruitfulness. In other words, you've got to be productive in your life. Now, not every, productive is one of those words that's going to be applied differently to all of our lives. Some of us can be productive with our hands. Some of us can be productive with our minds. Some of us can be productive in other ways. But, but the key is, is that we're to be fruitful. In other words, something productive has to come from your life in order to exercise dominion. That's why I often say God is not against work. He's for work. That's why Paul says, if a man won't work, let him not eat. That's why people currently in our culture who aren't working are wanting government to pass a law to let them have some level of dominion, but they want it without doing it God's way. We exercise dominion when we're productive. 
Even if you don't have a job, even a mom, let's say you're a stay-at-home mom. A stay-at-home mom, let me tell you something, they are some of the hardest workers across the globe. In fact, they figured it up one time that a stay-at-home mom, if she was doing, you know, the, the kids and the laundry and the meals and the shopping and all the things, I mean, she'd be making a six-figure salary. And we respect that, but you see, the key isn't that what the paycheck that you're getting. The key is, are you being productive or are you being fruitful? And even if you don't have a job, listen to me, even if you're waiting for your next job or you're unemployed, God's precept is this. You got to keep yourself busy, productive, and that's when God opens doors of influence and dominion. So if you don't have a job, go volunteer for something. Keep yourself in motion. Be productive. Don't sit on the couch collecting unemployment for 99 weeks, hoping that your ship comes in. I'm for unemployment. I'm, I don't know that there's anything wrong with unemployment. What's wrong with it is if you're just sitting there. Get up. Be productive. Lay your hand to something. God can move in that and you'll begin to see yourself begin to prevail over your circumstances. Now, there was a second thing he said. By way of dominion. Now, these are four things you got to get. You're being productive you're, and you're being fruitful. Secondly, you're multiplying. That means to expand yourself and excel. To multiply. Now, literally, here in the scripture, this was in reference to kids. Literally, multiply. There's Adam, I gave you Eve. Let's let nature happen. Go multiply. Why is that dominion? You see, this is one of the things that we don't get in, in, as Christians, is that God, and again, li listen, I'm not, <clears throat> I know Catholics are big on this, and I'm not Catholic, but there's a point to be made here. The reason the Catholics keep going is they got, they got kids. You ever seen a good old Catholic family? I mean, they got them a brood. Kids everywhere. I don't think there's anything wrong with a little family planning. Don't misunderstand. I think family planning is a good thing. I know, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to conceive them and birth them to some extent, especially easy for the guys because we don't have to birth them. But, but having said that, you know, I know you got to pay for them. And so I, I, I get that, you know, family planning has a place. But can I just share this with you? One of the things that God said here by way of intent was we would exercise dominion if we would really have Christian homes and we would do our best to raise up Christian children and we would begin to procreate and we would fill the earth and pretty soon there'd be so many of us, there'd be dominion. Are you following me? You know why Muslims are on a trajectory to be able to, in, if something doesn't change by 2050, this nation will shift from being a Christian nation to being a predominantly influenced by Muslim by 2050, five zero. What is that? That's four, that's 38 years from now. What's 38 plus 52? 90. I'm still be preaching. Now that's going to irritate me. You want to see a 90-year-old get irritated? Let me just say, something, if something doesn't change, that's going to happen. But the spiritual point beyond that is this, that we have to find ways to multiply, to expand, to excel. And out of that multiplication, dominion exists. 
if, if you're being multiplied somehow, somewhat, you're exercising dominion. Think about that. If you can be effective in multiplied ways, then your influence is multiplied. You know, you know what I'm speaking here. That's what God said was a part of dominion. Number three, he said to replenish. Literally, it says to fill the earth. Replenish. Fill up your surroundings. This is related to dominion. We're to, we're to replenish. We have, we have, you know, a lot of people just let things die and, and fall apart. And we're the ones that keep things together and we replenish it. And uh, he said this was an aspect of dominion. You know, you don't, you, you may not, th- I, I don't want to say this, is that um, if you go to a restroom, let's say at a restaurant, and you go into the bathroom, this, I hate this. You go to the bathroom, you tend to your, your need. Then you go to the sink. You know, you're washing your hands. Then you turn around where the napkin deal is, and there's no paper towels. Now, that, now that really, that, I, I'm 52, and I'm getting smarter at this. Because now I go into bathrooms, and I look for the paper towels before I ever get to the water thing there. I want to always make sure that I'm not hung. But how many of you know, at that moment, the person that replenishes the paper towels becomes one of the most important people in your life? The replenisher. Say, you, you never know you need it until you've lost it, until there's nothing left. We're the replenishers. Christian people are replenishers. We're the ones that bring the creative ideas. We're the ones that have the resource. We're the ones that can begin to, 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 to speak fullness into situations. And the, finally, he says to subdue. And the word subdue literally means to manage and order your success. You can be a successful person, but if you don't know how to manage it and order it, All you have is sort of like chaos and anarchy. If God brings you things, you have to know how to manage that thing. If he brings you a car, you've got to learn learn how to maintain it. You have to learn how to change the oil. You've got to learn how to put gas in it. You've got to learn how to change its tires. If you just leave it as it is, it will fall apart. So you've got to manage whatever it is that comes your way. These four things, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue. The key is, if you do these four things, you will exercise dominion. Do you understand how few people do those four things? Can you imagine if, if the church did those four things as a people, we would have unbelievable influence in the earth. Now, I'm going to give you real quickly what I call the paradox. I want to show you now how this is implemented. A few weeks ago, I talked about paradox. Anybody remember when I talked about paradox? A few weeks ago, how the Bible teaches us that there are certain concepts that seem contradictory, but that's exactly what God uses in order to bring about His will. He says, he says if you give up your life, you live. If you die, you live. If you give up, you get in. If you try to save yourself, you'll lose your life. He says, if you'll humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you try to exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. He says he doesn't choose the noble things, the wise things. But he chooses the foolish things. All through Scripture, there's this paradox and dominion. This is going to help some of you. Dominion it will exist in your life paradoxically. Because nobody likes Christians as a whole. We live in a hostile environment. Amen? 
I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you if, you, if you, if you're trying to share your faith in the environment you and I are now living in, it's a hostile environment. We are living in modern day Babylon. It is confusion. It is just like what Daniel lived in when he was in Persia. Babylon, confusion. And yet Daniel found success under four different administrations. Daniel could exercise dominion under those circumstances. Why is that? Because he understood the paradox of the kingdom or the paradox of dominion. Matthew 13, listen to this. This is really a great parable. And many people miss this. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 13, 31. It says, another parable Jesus put forth to them saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven or the dominion of heaven, the rule of heaven, the rule of God is like a mustard seed. Now, y'all have been, I hope, have somewhere along your life. I don't, I don't have a mustard seed. Maybe if I look through some drawers, maybe I do. But a mustard seed is like about, well, a mustard seed is like something that you'd get stuck in your teeth and you'd have to floss out. I mean, that's how little a mustard seed is. And he says dominion, the dominion of God, the rule of God is like a mustard seed. Well, that ain't too impressive. Which a man took and he sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven, dominion is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. And I don't know how much three measures is in, in, in like a loaf of bread or whatever it was the woman was baking. But I know it's just a little bit. And the point of these parables is this. That dominion at first seems incredibly small. It's little, unnoticeable, imperceptible to the natural eye. But if dominion is allowed to be fostered and it grows and it's tended to and it's embraced, it will eventually grow to the place that people will not be able to live without it. In other words, mustard seed, tree, birds come and nest in it. Your dominion, small, it grows into something mighty and people can't live without it. Are you following me? That's the paradox. The Bible is indeed a book of takeover. But this takeover is not by carnal means. See, people think, and again, I believe we should be a part of the process. You've heard this from me for years. So I'm not saying something contradictory to what I've already taught you. I'm just teaching you how God works. And he works through the patient and relentless witness and declaration and living of the gospel. If he puts you as a custodian in some company, and that's really not the job you wanted. It's not really what you had in mind. You really weren't thinking of making a career of janitorial service, not that it's not noble and not that you couldn't, and that's not worthy uh, to be done. But that wasn't what you had in mind and you thought God had something bigger for you, but, and nobody pays attention to it. It's something small. You're overlooked. Nobody even cares about you unless something's not done. It's like a seed. And if that seed is tended to and it is fostered 
and you are relentless in your witness and your declaration. And I can't tell this custodian story tonight, but those of you that have been with me know my custodian story. And I'm here to tell you that you can be in the mop closet, but God can pull you out of a mop closet and cause you to speak to the whole school district. Yes, he can. That's dominion. Dominion is not the title of what sits on your desk. Just because you have a title doesn't mean anything. There are people with titles that have zero influence. Dominion has nothing to do with the job description except that God's using it in order to bring his ways into that arena. So, every time a Christian, for example, blows their testimony, what happens is it sets them back. It sets us back with regards to his purposes of dominion. Sure it is. God raises people up. He wants to give them great influence. He wants to give them a voice to the culture. He wants to give you a voice to the company, a voice to your family, a voice to your friends, a voice to your neighbors. But then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, uh, we blow our testimony. We make a bad decision. uh, We yield to the flesh. Our carnal heart overpowers us. And all of a sudden, everybody looks at us and goes, there's another one. That's just gone down the tubes. And it sets us back. Are you following me? That's why we preach character. We aren't preaching character just because I want to beat you over the head with getting you to live righteously. We preach these things in order that you can be sustained in what God is doing in your life. That even though it looks like a seed, God will raise you up and give you influence and you will have dominion. Because even celebrities who falter in their character, most people laugh at them, despite the fact they may pay millions of dollars to go see them at the movie theater. They have no no real influence over our life. Dominion. It takes time. And most believers do not have a theology of longevity. And you and I have got to begin to develop. I believe Jesus could indeed come before the night's over. Don't misunderstand. I believe... And I would teach the eminent return of Jesus. But listen to me. Jesus said, and if we're going to obey him, we've got to obey everything he said. He said, you're to occupy until I come. He said, yes, I may come sooner than you think. But here's the deal. We have to live as if there's a thousand generations coming behind us. I can live with that tension. I can live with the joy I told the guys at Band of Brothers. I have no problem if Jesus comes and takes me away and I leave my five or ten year plan on my desk, that'll just be fine with me. It won't bother me a bit to leave my ten year plan on my desk if Jesus comes. And you know what? He won't mind it either. But if he doesn't come, he will mind if we don't start thinking in these terms. Because we're going to leave something to our kids and our grandkids That's going to be terrible if we don't arise and begin to exercise the dominion God has called us to exercise. And it starts today and it takes time. It takes time. That's why churches that grow overnight aren't that big of a deal. Listen to me. You want influence and impact? You just stay steady. You do it right. Preach it right. Stay steady. Declare His holiness. Exhort people to their to character, and I'll guarantee you, God will use you to impact the culture. I've been in this city for nearly 15 years. I've been on the front pages of certain sections. 
In fact, I've often said, depending on who you ask, I'm infamous in some circles and I'm famous in others. But here's the deal. You just hang tough long enough and you may get thrown a few things at you on occasion. But here's the good news. If you're still standing, there ain't no other way to explain it except God was with him. God was with him. It took Joseph time to be set up in Egypt. It took time for David to become king. It took time. Jesus didn't even pop on the scene, did he? He was born as a baby. We're going to celebrate that. And then it was what? 30 years in order for him to rule and reign. And then God used this odd method. He sent him to a cross in order that he could have the name above every name. Oh, that'll preach. Sometimes God will send you to a cross in order for you to be exalted. Well, why not? I I know everybody (laughs) goes, I really didn't want to hear that. See, dominion. We need to embrace God's ways. Sometimes we take a good beating and, and, and you're licking your wounds, not realizing that God's getting ready to lift you up. That's exactly what he did to those early disciples. He flogged them. He had them beat. They were thrown in jail and prisons. You know the story, shipwrecked, ran out of town at night, and yet they, they conquered cities. Paradoxical, wouldn't you say? The scum of the earth. That's what Paul said. He said, we are as the dregs. In fact, in the literal Greek, that word actually means, and I'll just use the nice word, poo-poo. Paul literally said, we're the poo-poo. In the world's eyes. But yet, that's exactly what God used paradoxically to turn the world upside down. So dominion is not through voting. It's not through the oppression of your enemies. But it's serving. It's laboring. It's, it's, it's being fruitful, being productive, multiplying, replenishing, managing your success. We charismatics, we want everything done with a hoop and a holler and a hearty ho silver. And that's not how God works all the time. Sometimes he'll do the dramatic, but sometimes he looks at us and he says, be patient, <clears throat> be steady, walk straight, keep your eyes on me. It's going to take a little time. Kind of like Moses, who is 80 years old, but there will be a moment in time that God will say, you've done your desert. You've done your time. It is now time for you to be used by me in incredibly influential ways. Some of you listen to me right now. What would you do if you found out tonight that he's going to allow you to live your whole life until you finally found out that it's the last 10 years of your life that he will use you in remarkable ways? And then when you step into that last decade of your life, who's to say that pastor from age 80 to, well, no, about 85 to 95, That it will be that moment that God does something in my life that is so off the chart, off the chain, so incredible and influential that all the years prior to this was merely a prelude to this last 10 years of my life that I will then look at the scripture where God says, I will restore the years. And suddenly that 10-year slot becomes more productive and impactful and powerful than the previous 85 years. You see, that's dominion. Are you following me? I hope so. 
I th- because I think our time is quickly approaching. Legacy is almost 10 years old. That's, that's a pretty good distance for a new church start, 10 years. Some didn't believe we'd make it too. Some prognosticated we wouldn't be here three or four. And here we are, nearly at 10. Hallelujah. 10 years. I understand. Sometimes you, you think, well, I thought we might be further by now. I thought this might happen. Listen, you do it slow. You do it steady. You walk it straight. You exalt his holiness. You live all out for him. You keep your eyes focused. You keep your testimony straight. It's a small thing. But that small thing's becoming an oak tree. Maybe that's why we had such a hard time cutting one down. I don't know, maybe. Maybe that was God's sign to us. Saying that's oak tree. That's, that's, I'm raising up an oak tree. An oak tree is hard to cut down around here. That's what he's raising up. He's raising up mighty oaks in him. I got to stop. I went five minutes too long. Stand with me, please.